Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We're going to go through uh, the first part of the story of Moses. We're going to hit almost all the plagues uh, and just walk through this uh, amazing confrontation. God is above all. Do you believe that? He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He is over everything. Amen? The question is, do we really believe that? We say that and it's easy to do so on a Sunday morning perhaps. But in the midst of our lives, in the midst of all the things that we go through, in the midst of all of our circumstances, our trials and tribulations, do we rejoice in the fact and do we absolutely believe and are we absolutely certain that the Lord is in control of everything? I mean, that is something that we have got to be confronted with on a continuous basis. And when I say confronted, I mean two by four, slap across the forehead kind of moments. Because sometimes we get in in the midst of circumstances and we somehow think that God fell off his throne or that the Lord woke up or that he didn't wake up. Somehow we forget that God is moving in a way, not only in our own lives, but through this entire world in order to accomplish his word. And we can see this in the story of Moses and the story of the rise of Israel. We can see it in what we looked at with Joseph. And just to recap, Joseph, God sent a famine. God placed Joseph second in command over all of Egypt, gave him the wisdom to understand what was going to happen. There was going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. He put a plan together, obviously inspired by the Lord. And in the midst of it, all the wealth from that area became Pharaoh's. Jacob and his family, about 70 people, came down to Egypt and they lived there. The Lord uh, told Jacob, it's okay, you're going to go down there for a time. I'm going to turn you into a great nation and I'm going to bring you back into the land that I've promised you. And so Jacob with his family went down to Egypt. They landed in the land of Goshen because they were cattle herders, they were sheep herders, they dealt with livestock and so this was an area of plenty for them and God began to multiply them. What's amazing is that as we look at this next week, when God took them out of the land of Egypt, he gave them all the wealth of Egypt. You don't think God is in control? You don't think the Lord knows how to give, that the Lord knows how to raise up, that the Lord knows how to put down, that the Lord is sovereign, that the Lord is at work all around us, that the nations are in his hands and that he's absolutely in control of not only my life, your life, all the circumstances, but this entire world and what is taking place. It's amazing to watch. In this story that we have of Moses, we see God at work, God raising up, God confronting, God putting down, God fulfilling promises. And what a blessing as believers to know that each and every day we have the privilege of walking with him. Man, if that doesn't get you fired up today, folks, wake up. I'm not sure what to do. I know it's post-Easter, but come on. We have a God that's with us. And in the midst of our lives, no matter what happens, we can walk with him. And we can experience him. We can grow in him. We can learn more of him. And he's absolutely in control because he's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. David in the Psalms says this in Psalms 136. He says, give thanks to the Lord for he's good. 
for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Or Paul to uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and Following, he says, which he will bring about, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Or John in Revelation 19.16, where he says, on his robe and on his thighs, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Man, he's over it all, folks. We, we celebrate the resurrection, and it's not just one day that we do so. We celebrate it every day because the Lord is above all. He is the king. He's sovereign. There's nothing that escapes his attention, his notice. There's nothing that is outside of his control, including all the details of our individual lives. What a beautiful truth that is, folks, to rest in an almighty, all-loving, all-powerful king who condescended to come to this earth, to go to the cross, so that we, by believing in him, might have everlasting life. Amen? Praise the Lord, right? Joseph dies. Jacob dies. And when we look at what's going on at the very beginning of Exodus, yes, we're out of Genesis. Don't worry, we'll get through this, folks. I guarantee you, if you're reading through this verse by verse and you're following, we're going to get this. Exodus chapters 1 and 2 are phenomenal because they deal with the birth of Moses. And Exodus 1-8 really is a key verse in this. He says, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Joseph and all that he had done, God had used him in a profound way. Pharaoh was enriched as a result of all that had taken place. And now a new Pharaoh, a new king, rises up in power over Egypt years later. And he does not remember, he does not know Joseph. We're going to look at three things. First of all, a cause a cause. Secondly, a calling. And lastly, a confrontation. A cause, a calling, and a confrontation. Joseph is gone. Pharaoh does not remember him. And now we have a new time. We have a new situation. We see that Israel has increased, has multiplied. God has blessed them. And suddenly Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, who doesn't remember Moses, or excuse me, Joseph, is fearful because he's worried that Israel is going to take over his nation. And so he gives a decree that all the male children are to be killed. When they're born, they're to be killed. There are two midwives who are told, don't let these kids live. They were to kill the children at birth, and they don't do that. They are God-fearers, and God blesses them, and God continues to multiply this nation of Israel. Pharaoh enslaves them enslaves them. They become slaves. Uh, They begin to do building projects for him. They are placed into a terrible situation where for years uh, they are enslaved. God knows exactly what's going on. God is working 
And God brings around Moses. Uh, Moses' parents are pretty phenomenal people. And in Hebrews chapter 11, such a beautiful truth. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 and following, it says this about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. There was something special about Moses. They recognized this. They had insight into this. And they wanted to make sure that he was hidden and that he lived. And it says that they were not afraid of the king's edict. In verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. There's more to that story in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at that next week as we look at the final plague, the plague of death brought about on the firstborn of anybody in Egypt and how God through his miraculous power rescues Israel out of Egypt. Moses is a special child. His parents recognize that. He is brought up by Pharaoh's daughter. He's brought up in the king's court. He is educated. He knows how to write. He wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. I mean, this guy is no slouch. The Lord rescues him. They place him into a basket. His sister's watching over him, Miriam. Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe, sees the basket, hears the baby crying, rescues him. Moses means drawn out. Drawn out. Israel, it's a picture of Israel, was drawn out of Egypt. And in the midst of it, Moses grows up with all the privileges of a son of Pharaoh. And yet, his mother undoubtedly poured into him who he actually was. Poured into him the promises given to the nation of Israel, to Jacob to Isaac, to Abraham. And Moses, he decides, I would rather follow God than have all the riches of Egypt. What's interesting is in Exodus chapter 2, we find that as Moses has grown up, he recognizes who he is. He goes down to see his fellow Hebrews. He sees an Egyptian beating one of his fellow brothers, and he kills the Egyptian. The next day, he sees two of his brothers, two of his Hebrew brothers fighting, and he warns them, why are you fighting? And they look at him and say, in effect, why, why are you telling us uh, to do this? Are you going to kill us too? And so Moses realizes the word is out. He needs to get out of Egypt And so he goes into the wilderness, and he leaves Egypt. Do you realize it was 40 years that he spent in the wilderness? He meets Jethro, his father-in-law. He's married, and he takes care of the sheep, and he wanders, in a sense, in the wilderness for 40 years. You know, it's interesting to me. God desires for each and every one of us to know how to follow him, to walk with him, to walk with him by faith. I believe that Moses had the right intentions in mind. He wanted to see his fellow Hebrews released, freed, but he had the wrong way of going about it. 
He had the wrong way of going about it. He he decided to take things into his own hands. How many times do we see what's going on around us? We want to take things into our own hands and try to fix it ourselves, and it backfires. Rather than waiting on the Lord and the timing of the Lord. Folks, God is sovereign. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He knows exactly what he wants to do, and he knows exactly how to get it done. We need to get in touch with him in order to walk with him in what he wants to do. In the midst of it, Moses had the right cause, but had bad timing. And God puts him out in the wilderness for 40 years where he becomes a humble man. One day, and you know this story well, he has a calling. In chapter 3, we have the burning bush. Now, I don't know about you, but if we were here in Albuquerque, which is arid, and we started to walk on whatever trail, and we saw some bush, maybe a juniper bush, whatever it may be, and it was burning and it was never consumed, I don't know that I would go walking to the bush. Would you? I think I'd say, you know what? That's cool. I I don't think I probably had enough to drink today, enough water to drink. (laughs) Maybe some people say they'd had too much to drink, right? (laughs) I think I'd leave that thing alone. But Moses is curious, and he walks up to it, and God says to him, take your sandals off. You are standing on holy ground. And there begins a calling in Moses' life. God calls him back to where he had left and tells him, I'm going to use you. You're going to be my instrument in order to free my people because I hear their groaning. I know what they're going through. I know the difficulties they've, they've undergone, but I've made a promise and I've been working towards that promise and I'm going to fulfill that promise. And so Moses, you're the one that's going to go. Moses doesn't like it. Hey, what kind of a speaker am I to go to Pharaoh? And so the Lord allows Aaron, his brother, to be his spokesman in that sense. And he gives him this calling. And I want to point out something to you because this is such a profound moment. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Moses says to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And now they may say to me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Wow. Folks, you realize what that means? I am who I am. I am the I am. I am the self-existent one. I am the eternal one. And the picture is very clear. The picture is in effect, you tell those people that whatever they need, I am. And it's not just whatever they need, I am. It's that I am capable of accomplishing for them whatever their need may be. Do you realize that the Gospel of John, he says eight different times, I am the bread of life, I am the living water, I am the resurrection and the life. The great I am statements. This is God. This is a holy God who is able to meet us right where we are. No matter what we need, he is able to accomplish that and to be for us whatever it is that is necessary in our lives. What are you struggling with today? Because he is the I am. Do you realize that in Christ Jesus, we have every blessing 
in the heavenly places given to us in Christ Jesus. So the great I am has not only provided himself for us and not only invites us to join him in what he alone can do, but the great I am has fulfilled everything that is necessary for us. Folks, what are you going through today? What is it that you're struggling with? What is it that you're facing that's way over your head but still under his feet? Do you realize that Jesus Christ is the great I am? He's the self-existent one that whatever it is that you need, he alone is able in the midst of it to meet you where you are. Can you imagine the nation of Israel enslaved, having no hope, having been given promises that for years they hoped in, but now becoming desperate? And Moses has God come to him through a burning bush, say, I'm going to send you back. And Moses says, if I go back and I tell them, God sent me, who am I supposed to say is your name? And God says to him, Tell them, I am has sent you. Man, folks, I don't know about you, but there's times where I get way over, way over my head in things. Don't you? Don't you get frustrated? Don't you get down? Aren't there moments where you're wondering, Lord, how's this going to work? God loves to put us in box canyons. We're going to look at that next week. He loves to place us in situations where it's obviously not of us, but it's all of him. And in the midst of that, are we learning to trust him? Are we learning to walk with him? Do we recognize that he is the I am? Well, there's a cause and there's a calling. Moses is called back to Egypt in order to help in the midst of God's work of freeing the Israelites. In chapter 4, Chapter 5 and chapter 6, we have all these different circumstances taking place where Moses goes back to the land of Egypt with Aaron, meets with the elders, and he begins to confront Pharaoh. In the midst of that, Pharaoh mocks them and basically tells the people of Israel, you're just lazy. You're just lazy. We've been giving you straw in order to make these bricks. Well, we're not going to give you the straw anymore, but the quota for your bricks are going to be the same. And so there's a massive test here for the nation of Israel. Are they going to believe God? Are they going to believe his promises? Are they going to believe his servant Moses that God wants to free them? Or are they going to look at the mighty power of Pharaoh? And are they going to say, well, he's greater than God. And in the midst of this, we get into this confrontation. I want to encourage you in this. There's two reasons for this confrontation. Number one is for those who are Egyptians to recognize that their gods are actually no gods at all, that God is above all gods. And it is also for the people of God, the Israelites, to recognize that their God is sovereign and that he is over all and to believe in him. In chapters 7 through 11, we have some of the most remarkable circumstances probably recorded in Scripture in many different ways. God sends plague after plague after plague. There's a pattern to these plagues. Moses would go to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, let my people go, speaking of the Israelites. And Pharaoh would refuse. And Moses would warn him, if you don't let our people go, if you don't let us go into the wilderness in order to serve our God and to make sacrifice to him, then these are what's, this is what's going to take place. And Pharaoh would not listen. 
And as a result, God would send the plagues. In the midst of that, Pharaoh would relent. He would ask Moses to pray to God in order that the the plagues would cease. Moses would pray. The plagues would cease. God would stop the plague. And in the midst of that, Pharaoh was hardened in his heart and would refuse to allow the children of Israel, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, to leave. God does this over and over and over again. I want to encourage you in this. There's a lot written about the idea of Pharaoh and his heart being hardened. Or Pharaoh hardening his heart. And without getting into all the theology of it, all the, because believe me, there's a lot here. I would simply suggest that Pharaoh made a decision not to submit to the Lord, and as a result, he was given over to that decision, and his heart was hardened as a result. And you can see this over and over and over again. God wanted to reveal his power, not only to the Egyptians, but also to the Israelites, in order to reveal that he is king of kings, lord of lords. He is over everything. And there's an opportunity to yield to him in the midst of that. Pharaoh did not yield, and as a result, his heart was hardened. In Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 and following, we have this recorded for us. He says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So Moses and Aaron did it as the Lord commanded them. Thus they did. One of the first signs he gives is a fascinating one in chapter 7, verses 1 and following. We see that this rod that Moses had, that the Lord revealed himself through the burning bush in the wilderness and told Moses to throw the rod down and it turned into a snake. Now he stands before Pharaoh and he does this sign. The interesting thing is that the magicians of, of Pharaoh, the magicians of Egypt, were able to duplicate that sign. Obviously, satanic counterfeit. But what's also interesting is Moses' rod, Moses' serpent ate the other serpents. Again, revealing God is above all other gods. The Egyptians had many different gods that they worshipped, and in each one of these plagues, we see some of these gods being confronted, a picture given that God is above all other gods gods. In the first plague, the water is turned to blood in chapter 7, verses 14 and following. We have a god called Hapi or Apis, the bull god of the Nile. We have a god called Isis, ring familiar, goddess of the Nile, Knum, ram god, guardian of the Nile. Well, the water's turned to blood. In verse 21, we learn that the fish die. All the drinking water from the Nile, even the pools, even the pots are turned to blood and become foul. Devastation everywhere. Yet the magicians were able to reduplicate this. And as a result, Pharaoh turns, goes to his home, and doesn't even pay 
attention. In chapter 8, verse 1 and following, here come the frogs. Now, I don't know about you, but amphibians are not my favorite creatures. Anybody else with me on that? I I mean, I, I owned a boa constrictor one time, and now I'm a little older, a little hopefully wiser, and I'm thinking, what in the world did I do that for, you know? Frogs are slimy, disgusting creatures. I'm sorry for those of you who like them. Frogs everywhere. Everywhere. Heket, the goddess of birth, was a goddess that was depicted with a frog head. Here comes the frogs. The Bible says that they came into the ovens. They came into the kneading bowls. You know when they're, they're mixing their flour in order to make bread, there's frogs. I can hear all the Egyptian women now. The scream. Frogs everywhere. In their homes. In their beds. Oh, man. I mean, I don't know how you want to get somebody's attention. Man, that's a way to do it. Pharaoh asks that this be relented. Moses prays. God relents. The frogs die, and they heap them up in massive amounts all through the land of Egypt. Egyptian magicians again do the same. In Exodus 8, 9 through 10, Moses says to Pharaoh, the honor is yours to tell me, when shall I entreat you for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be destroyed from you and your houses, that they may be left only in the Nile? And he said, tomorrow. So he said, may it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And in Exodus 8, 13 and following, he says, the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out of the houses, the courts and the fields, and they piled them in heaps and the land became foul. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not listen to them as the Lord had said. The next was the plague of, and we have it translated, gnats. Anybody been in the northeast? Gnats, I hate gnats. But this is actually probably lice. Imagine that. The god Set, S-E-T, the god of the desert, He says to hit your staff on on the desert floor. Hit your staff in the dust and out of the dust of the ground. God causes these lice to come everywhere. And what's notable about this is now the magicians are out of their league. And in verse 18, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Next comes a plague of flies in chapter 8, verse 20 and following. Ray, the sun god. There's other gods that perhaps uh, depicted the flies, and they swarm everywhere. What's interesting about this is now God begins to separate, and no longer is it for the Israelites to go through this. They are protected, the land of Goshen. There There are no flies. Exodus chapter 8, verses 31 and following, the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people, and not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and he did not let the people go. Next, it's the livestock. Hathor or Apis, goddess with a cow head. Apis, the bull god, symbol of fertility. All the Egyptian livestock is killed by a pestilence. But Israel's livestock is spared. 
But in spite of that, in spite of the power of God being revealed in this way, Pharaoh hardens his heart and refuses to let the people go. In chapter 9, verse 8, we have the plague of boils, and they were so painful. They were all over, not only the people, but also livestock. In Exodus 9, 11, it says, The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. The magicians and the Egyptians. Again, the Isis, the goddess of healing, is shown not to be as strong as God. In Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 and following, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Still, you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. A plague of hail follows. And the warning is given. Not the sky goddess. Isaris, the god of crops and fertility. Set, the god of storms. They worship these things. God sends hail and destroys all the barley. He warns them that every beast left in the field, every man left in the field would be killed. What's interesting is there's a group of Egyptians who are God-fearers, just like we saw the midwives who were God-fearers. Now there are Egyptians who are God-fearers and they bring in their livestock and they themselves get out of the fields to get away from the wrath of God from this hailstorm. And it is a devastating hailstorm. It destroys all of the barley. It kills livestock and those who are left in the fields. Next comes the plague of locusts in chapter 10, verses 4 and following. In Exodus 10, 7, Pharaoh's servants are now getting a little bit twitchy. (laughs) How long will this man be a snare to us, they say to Pharaoh. "Let Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? In Exodus 10, 15, we're told that the locusts, Cover the surface of the whole land so that the land was darkened. They ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Thus nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. And again, the indication is that this was not taking place where the Israelites were. This was not taking place in Goshen. Still, Pharaoh refuses to let Israel go and his heart is hardened plague of darkness comes next. Ray, the sun god. Horus, another sun god. They worship these gods and God is revealing that he is the king of kings and he's the god of all gods. In Exodus 10, 22, so Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Can you imagine? 
The indication is that they weren't even able to light lights within their homes, but the Israelites were able to light lights in their dwelling places. You know, it's interesting to me, in 1 John, John concludes his epistle to believers, and he says this, little children, guard yourselves from what? From idols, from idols. We may not necessarily call the sun god or some worship or some form of it by the names that the Egyptians called their gods. We may not say, well, there's the sun god Ra, and we worship Ra. But even in talking about Brazil the other day in a mission trip that some people are planning, they talked about how the people there worship the sun because they spend all their time with it. What constitutes an idol? Something that you spend all your time on, something that takes up all your energy and your thinking, something that if it's removed from your life, you feel like there's a vacancy and you're upset about it, you're emotionally attached to it. Folks, we have many idols. We have many idols. We have idols of pleasure. We have idols of self-worth. We have materialistic idols. We have all kinds of idols. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the King of kings, that he's the Lord of lords, that he is God of very God, that he is above all gods? And are we worshiping him in a way that if we were ever accused of being believers in Jesus Christ, there would be enough evidence to convict us of it? God is orchestrating things in this story through all the nations because he made a promise that through Abraham a seed would come and that seed is Christ himself. And now he's orchestrating all the nations in order to accomplish what he had promised. And he's about to bring Israel out of the land of Egypt and to rescue them. We're going to look at that next week as God says take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts so that your firstborn might be saved oh man folks the picture in this is awesome thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast we'd love to hear how God is working in your life everyone has a story please tell us yours Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.